uh, for the continuing night. We thank you for the opportunity to come tonight to study your word. We ask that you move mightily tonight in each and every one of us so we can have the wisdom to know more about you. Father, that's what we seek tonight is know more about you and your ways and the ways that you have for us to be. So we just thank you. We ask that you bless the speaker tonight, Hyde, and what you've given him to teach us today, Father. Open our eyes, open our hearts, and ears, that we can receive what you have. These things we ask in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Okay. A um, couple things by way of housekeeping. Um, a week from tonight, uh, first of all, this. This is the last study of the um, uh, spiritual warfare study. And next week uh, will be part of our day of prayer and fasting for the building campaign. Uh, starting at 8 a.m. and going to 8 p.m. And we will be meeting for prayer here from 6 to 8. And you're welcome to join us for any time that you're able to come. Um, let me take my. I want to take just a few minutes and uh, do a bit of review. Um, obviously, when you talk about spiritual warfare, you have all kinds of possible approaches. Um, you know, you may have heard or read Neil Anderson um, and uh, some of his books that are somewhat formulaic in that they, uh, they, they give you specific prayers to address different issues. And, and I know there are other people who do that. My preference has been to try and present a scriptural perspective that kind of gives us an overview, which is what we've been doing. We started out, first of all, trying to get um, the biblical sense of what is really involved here. Remember we talked about that spiritual warfare is not about me and protecting myself, but spiritual warfare is about God, His plans, and how that Satan, the adversary, uh, endeavors to attack those plans. And so that's really the macro, the big idea. Um, so for us, our desire is not to focus on Satan and demonic spirits and demonic manifestations and so on, although obviously part of what we need to do is to understand, uh, to know our enemy. And we spent some time, if you recall, uh, the beginning, I think it was the, the, second, uh, the second Wednesday night, talking about the subject of know your enemy. And Scripture tells us some basic clues about, about who Satan is and his plan of, of strategy. And for a lot of believers, the notion of spiritual warfare always has to involve something that is out of the ordinary and spooky. 
you know, as in the example where we have um, the uh, uh, the man who was possessed by a legion and who was all whacked out. The truth is, when you study uh, the gospel accounts and uh, the epistles, uh, the gospel and and the book of Acts, what you'll find is most of the time the references um, to demonic activity was really not spectacular. Sometimes you see that there were uh, there were physical manifestation as in paralysis. Um, and and so we need to understand that spiritual warfare a lot of times involves uh, things that seem to to us to be fairly uh, not not uh, spectacular. Um, and and the truth is, we typically expect to see Satan with horns and a tail. Uh, remember what Paul says in Second Second uh, Corinthians chapter two that Satan masquerades as an angel of light, and that's where we as believers get into the greatest amount of trouble uh, when we ignore that. And again, our focus is not on Satan; our focus has to be about the Lord, and that involves a basic reality that we are God's servants. Remember what Yeshua said in John chapter 14. Uh, now the prince of this world is judged. And? Anybody remember? And? He has no part in me. Ah! I was hoping somebody else besides Michael would know it. He well, that's has, what I tried last week too. Uh, <laughs> what did Yeshua mean when he said, He has no hold on me? Somebody other than Michael. He has no authority. He doesn't have you. Correct. Yes. Remember, remember that our sin gives Satan a toehold into our life. Now, let me be very emphatic. We who are believers, followers of Yeshua, are first and foremost inhabited by the Spirit of God. Okay? And no ands, ifs, or buts about that. Um, however, part of the picture is that when we sin, we, in a sense, collaborate with the activity of Satan by opposing God's plans. Now, we don't usually think about it, but sin basically boils down to uh, an attitude of independence of God. Remember, that's what, what was the sin in the garden. God says, don't, don't do this. Adam and Eve said, yes, we will. And so sin for us gives Satan uh, an, an opening to get into our life and get a hold of us like a beachhead. Uh, you know, I'm a World War II buff, so I think of, of uh, D-Day and, and Normandy and so on and so forth, how that the Allies uh, captured a piece of real estate and so, Paul tells us, if you recall, that there are things that we do <laughs> there are things that we do that 
give Satan a beach held? Can you remember what specifically uh, were mentioned? Anger and sexual immorality. Anger? What kind of anger? By the way, we, we, that's really important for us to remember uh, because anger... Unresolved. Unresolved anger. Remember that uh, Scripture has uh, about eight different Hebrew words for God's anger. Kind of give us a different feel for how God gets angry. So anger is an appropriate emotion. It's right to be angry. Uh, The problem then is uh, when the anger is unresolved, where there is a break in relationship with people, and where we store the anger and it becomes calcified and becomes um, bitterness, resentment, and so on and so forth. Uh, That gives Satan a toehold. And we also looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You all remember 1 Corinthians chapter 5? Say amen, somebody. You don't remember 1 Corinthians 5. Let's turn to it. And, uh, Yvonne, would you read that for us, please? Chapter 5, what Number one's pretty good. Start uh, with verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus, I'm the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Yeshua is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Okay, that's good. Let's pause there. All right. Uh, background here is that you have this fellow who sleeps with the stepmother. And the Corinthian believers thought that there was absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, they had things so much backwards that they felt that they were more spiritual because they were able to tolerate it. We talked about how they had the screwy ideas based on uh, Platonic dualism, Greek philosophy, that said the body doesn't really matter, you can do whatever you want. In fact, if you can not pay much attention one way or the other, then you're very spiritual. And Paul says to them, Hello, does anybody know the Torah? It says in all kinds of different ways, don't engage in immorality of one kind or another. Uh, And so he says to them, uh, Turn this guy over to Satan, which simply means in that context, um, disfellowship him. Because when he is part of 
the body of believers, he has general protection, the Lord's protection on a particular body. And when you you boot him out for a period of time, then that protection is gone and Satan can have at him. Uh, as it turns out, we know that he did repent and Paul tells him in 2 Corinthians 2, bring this guy in so that he is restored instead of b- being beat up uh, by excessive sorrow. And that's we talked about how that, that can be uh, an example of uh, a tool that the evil one uses where anger is turned inward and we become depressed. And, and uh, by, by the way, depression is something we all experience from time to time. However, if God is not in the picture, then Satan will use it, guaranteed. In other words, where we have different buttons, they'll get pushed either by the Lord or by the evil one. So, we talked about that. Um, and, and the fact that in one form or another, the only real protection that, that you and I have is to be focused on, on God and His plans and to be in submission. Again, remembering what Yeshua said, the evil one has no hold on me. Why? Because I am absolutely committed to doing the Father's will. Remember, we, we looked at John 4.34. My food is to do the Father's will and to accomplish what He's given me to do. Uh, so, when we focus on that, then, then spiritual warfare takes on a different perspective. Um, then we also talked about the fact that we as believers often have a screwy understanding of spiritual warfare because we basically have this notion of poor little me, I'm being barraged and attacked. And we all do that, you know. Something goes screwy and we say, I'm under spiritual warfare. Well, we are. However, the point is not that we are attacked and harassed and we need protection for ourselves. The point is, we have to come back to this. And the fact is that you and I have been called to serve the kingdom of God. And spiritual warfare, again, is first and foremost about us being distracted and hindered from doing what it is that God has called us to do. And so... um, we talked about, last time Michael uh, shared about the spiritual armor, and it isn't so much you know, that you have this visual sense of, okay, now I'm putting in the belt of, of truth, uh, or I'm putting on the helmet of salvation, and so on and so forth. It's, again, some basic principles, and we will go over some of them, Uh, But tonight I wanted to focus on a simple fact that God has called us and God expects us to be overcomers. Meaning that the notion of I'm going to get the tar beat out of me and at the end of the day I'm going to be a a poor, pathetic uh, individual who kind of walks around 
Why? Because they've been beaten, beaten up by the evil one. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. We've been called to be overcomers. And so I wanted to spend a bunch of time on that uh, tonight, at beginning with uh, John chapter First f- uh, John, and and we'll be a bunch in First John and in Revelation. By the way, that's First uh, John. Uh, chapter 5, verse 4, not, not 24. Now, part of the thing, part of the frustrating aspect uh, about John as he writes this letter is that he is very, seems to be very cut and dry. He can be very frustrating. If you're having a hard time, with something you really don't want to read First John uh, because he will get under your skin. Uh, but he puts it in plain English or plain Greek um, because the stakes were very high. Remember, uh, if you recall that John, uh, when he wrote the uh, epistles in Revelation, was living in a time when there was a great deal of persecution of believers and they needed to know who was boss. So first, uh, let's read First uh, John 5, um, 3 and 4. And Michael, would you read that, please? 3 and 4? Yes. Okay. For this is the love of God, that we keep His mitzvot, His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Okay. Three and four. Yeah, thank you. Now here, John gives us a real simple equation. If you are born of God... You're an overcomer. Okay? No ands, ifs, or buts. Now, that doesn't mean that at at a given time or a given period in our life that we don't struggle. Uh, At a period, a time in our life when we may feel like we're failures, uh, where we may feel like we're not having, uh, not doing well with God, but but John gives us a fairly basic statement that says, if you are a believer, if you are born of God, then you overcome. In other words, the proof is in a pudding, um, and and uh, we'll see that again and again. I want to zip through a number of verses in Revelation uh, where you see that repeated over and over and over again. Now. Remember that the first couple of chapters, uh, John is speaking to seven congregations, and it's possible that they were in Turkey. No, they were in Turkey. It's possible that they were uh, part of a postal circuit, and so um, the letter went to different different congregations. It's also possible that each of those congregations. Uh, conveys a different aspect of what believers are like, but uh, but I wanted to read uh, a verse in each of the 
um, in each of the letters to make a point. So let's start Revelation 2, verse 7. And why don't we go around the room and... Uh, Rosemary? Yeah. Would you read verse 7? Revelation 2, 7. Okay, so let's, some of this may be obvious, some of, some of it is not. So, the one who overcomes is going to be situated where? In paradise. Paradise, meaning that the one who overcomes is uh, is a believer, yeah. or a believer is an overcomer. Mm-hmm. And we'll see this again and again. Alright, verse 11, uh, Judy. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Okay, the second death is referring to what? Judgment. What kind of judgment? Yeah, you need to go back and read Revelation 20. Because the white throne, yes. White throne judgment, because in Revelation 20, we're told that the second death is spiritual, eternal spiritual death. In other words, someone totally separated from, from the presence of God eternally. Again, someone who is an overcomer is a believer because they will have the presence of God eternally. Uh, 2.26 uh, I'm sorry, 2.17? Two, two, 2.17, yes, thank you. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Okay, and then if you go on to 26. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Okay, now this is not quite so obvious. The hidden manna obviously refers to the kind of food that God gives um, for for people who are in His presence at, at the last um, at, at the new heaven and new earth, um, same thing with white stone. Um, verse twenty six, authority over the nations. Remember, in First Corinthians chapter six, that Paul Paul tells us that we as believers will reign with Messiah. Okay, so another another. Example of what we've been seeing here, um, chapter 3, verse 5. He who wins the victory will like them be dressed in white clothing. And if I will not blot his name out from the book of life, in fact, I will acknowledge him 
individually before my father and before his angels. Okay. Then you skip down to verse 12. I will make him who wins the victory a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never leave it. Also, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of my God's city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from my God and my own name. Okay. Again, um, the one who overcomes um, will be in God's book of life forever. And the one who overcomes will be uh, in God's temple and he will never leave it. Then verse 21, Katrina, chapter 3. To the one who overcomes, I will grant the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I I myself overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Okay. Again, we can go on and on and on uh, to make the same point. Uh, we also see that, by the way, in, at the end of the book, in chapter 21, where, where Yeshua is saying, uh, to him who overcomes, um, he will inherit, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Um, same kind of message that if we are genuine believers, then we overcome. Now this is not to question anyone's uh, salvation in any way, shape, or form. It simply means that if we have experienced the reality of God's presence, that part of the process means that we have been empowered to overcome. Now this is not a once-in-a-lifetime uh, kind of an action because uh, and this is from the grammar um, overcoming is not once in a lifetime situation but it is an ongoing continuous process and continuous action continuous action present tense uh, which means that part of what happens in our life because of the presence and the power of God, the presence of the Spirit of God, is that we are taught how to overcome and we are given power to overcome so that we become more and more like Yeshua and are able to say the evil one doesn't have the kind of pieces over me that he used to have when I was deeply, more deeply involved in this, that, and the other sin. Because what's been happening is God has been cleaning us up. We've been welcoming Him to go deeper into our life and to bring about redemption and cleansing so that we are more and more belong to the Lord and more and more committed to be His servants so that there's less and less of us that is being given over to the evil one. Uh, And that's really the simplicity uh, of, of what the Word of God tells us. So, um, again, part of the process is not us so much being protected, but our learning to advance the kingdom of God. Now, remember 
Yes, sir. Uh, is there a way we, we should consider the idea? Of, you mentioned, you know, we don't want the focus is not on us. The focus is on God's plan right. being accomplished, not on us. How do we? Uh, how do you think we look? We should look at that idea of overcoming then, because obviously we got to picture what it means to overcome. Right. Is it possible that you know it may not look like overcoming, or how do we balance? Are we overcoming versus is God's or God's plans? Prevailing regardless of somehow the way things look. I don't know if that makes sense. Yes. Just how we need to consider what it means to prevail or overcome. Or, you know. Both and. Mm-hmm. A good Jewish answer. <laughs> uh, remember that anything, uh, anything in our spiritual life is collaborative. Uh, in other words, um, God doesn't force Himself on us. And what takes place in our life involves God's initiation, but it also involves us uh, wholeheartedly responding to Him and saying, yes, you're right, of course you're right, I want your plans and purposes to take place. And sometimes it is a gutsy faith decision where we really don't feel like participating in it. In fact, sometimes we feel like just laying down and dying and and so part of our part of the process is us saying, God, I want your plans and purpose. Um, and somehow, and that's part of the mystery. Somehow, God works in us uh, to the Spirit of God spurs within us a desire to collaborate and partner with God. Uh, but it has to involve both, because there are things in our spiritual life and growth that will not take place unless we are willing to be, like what Paul says, um, putting things things from the past behind, I strain forward towards the mark. Now, if you were uh, someone like me, uh, an athlete, back when the dinosaurs were here, then, then you'll know that, uh, that when you run, you strain to cross the finish line. And so, it's both and. Um, So, part of the process is us seeing to it that we're in a healthy place spiritually, uh, because if we're not, we really can't do anything for the kingdom. But uh, it it can't really stop there. And part of the issue is that we we tend to be self self-focused a lot of times, but um, I saw this absolutely outrageous verse in uh, Jude, and I wanted to read it together. When you see it, you'll understand why I'm saying it's outrageous. I'm I'm being tongue-in-cheek here. In Jude, verses 22 and 23. Offers Hufferim read to us. Uh, be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy, mixed with fear, hating, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Now, do, do, do you have any clue what Jude means when he's... By the way, Jude, of course, is 
Yehuda. Um, do you have any clue what, what he means when he says, others save and snatch them from the fire? Very strong language. Has the sense, uh, by the way, it's related to, to the verb in Greek from which we get the rapture. Uh, in other words, somehow see to it that, that they're beamed out of this mess, uh, spiritual mess on the earth. What does he mean by that? Does he mean that we single-handedly grab someone and put, pull them out of the fire? To me, it makes sense that maybe they're clothed with sin so much and you have to take them out of that sin. Otherwise, it'll pull them down to hell. Okay, what does that mean Practically. To evangelize? Yeah. Excuse me, to evangelize? Uh, to, to, not just to evangelize. To evangelize meaning uh, to share the good news with someone. But this is, this talks about actively, being actively involved in a person's life who's not a believer. And being part of how, what God does to pull this person out. I mean, he's the only one who can save them, but but this is talking about active active work of engaging with a person who's not a believer. Like pleading with them and working with them. And All of that. All of that. Um, it's, like, it's like you would go and, and pull someone out of a burning building. You wouldn't wait for them to say, oh, wait a minute, but you'd actually grab them and physically remove them if you had to, if they couldn't on their own. Yeah. When we hate the garment but show mercy, um, we we uh, we hate the sin and everything associated with it. But we show love to the sinner. And and unfortunately, more often than not, we hate the sin and we hate the sinner. You know that's that's been the tenor of what I've been seeing a lot uh, on the heels of the election. Uh, believers have really gotten into a. Uh, we're going to duke, duke this out with everybody. Um, part of the process is that there are times when we get sick and tired of being involved in a battle. Do you know what I'm saying? You don't know what I'm saying. I'm the only one who does. Um, and so Scripture tells us that that's not an option. Giving up is not an option. Why? 1 Corinthians 15, 57, and 58. Let's turn to that. Fifteen? Yes. 57 to 58. Cheryl, would you read that for us? But thanks be to God who, keeping, who keeps giving us the victory through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Therefore, my dearly beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Okay, so what's the beginning point uh, for Paul in, in that in that statement? Thanks to God for 
Victory. Victory, okay. Uh, which he gives us once in our lifetime. No. Oh, I'm glad somebody noticed. <laughs> the Lord gives us the victory how often? Present active participle. Thank you, Rabbi David. Uh, which in plain English means continually. On an on, uh, continually on an ongoing basis. So why do we need that? Why do we need to start with that? Because there are times we feel like two cents Chinese money. We f- feel pretty useless. You know, I blew it, I screwed up, etc., etc. I realize again, I'm the only one who has those issues. Um... But we look, we look at these uh, statements and, and we can either say, yes, this is right and correct and I embrace it, or say, no, it, it works for Rabbi David or Hermano, not for me. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. And if you read the rest of what leads into that, this is talking about the resurrection, which means that the power that raised Yeshua from the dead by the Spirit of God is actively involved in us. And so because of that, we're given the ability to have the victory. We're given the victory. So yeah, we fall down and we get up and fall down, take two steps this way, one step back that way. But what the Word of God is saying to us is that in one form or another we experience a greater degree of victory in our life. So that when we rewind the tapes, we can see that now we are farther along in our relationship with the Lord in who we are as, as believers than we were two, three, four, five years ago. Why? Because God has been giving us the victory on an ongoing basis in different kinds of battles. We have... This battle, that battle, the other battle. Um, And so because of that, because we've been given the victory, then we are expected to persevere, not just to hang in there by the skin of our teeth, but to persevere. And to be steadfast and movable, this is strong stuff. Meaning that, uh, that when you get up in the morning... You don't take a radically, radically different uh, uh, trip than, than you did today. You're consistent. You, you persevere in, in a commitment to do God's will because you are His servant and because you've been given the victory. So um, we won't read uh, 2 Corinthians 4, but Paul says... You know, there are times when we get banged up and we fall and we get up and we get harassed and pressed, but we're not crushed. Did you hear that? We're not crushed. And we're perplexed because sometimes things don't make any sense, but we're not in despair. Why? We have a victory. We have the victory, yes, but why are we not... We're, we may be perplexed and have questions, but we're not in despair. Why? The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us, the Lord is working, and He has a plan, and we are part of that plan. 
So uh, we are expected to persevere, uh, not just in our life, but, but also in the life of other people. Uh, remember when Yeshua said to Peter, um, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. What does that mean? Is that defensive or offensive? Huh? Offensive. Offensive. In other words, you have, a, you have an army that is coming to take a city and they're the gates and they're able to break through the gates. And that's what Yeshua is saying, that, that the kingdom of darkness will not be able to, the gates of hell will not be able to stand against us. In other words, because the power of God is at work in our life, then we are able to do what God has called us to do. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And I would encourage you to read that, memorize it, write it on your forehead, Put it on your mirrors. Um, do anything and everything you need to, to get that one into your into your noggin. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption of the world because of sinful desire. That's a couple of verses ahead. Verse 3 in particular. What does Paul, uh, excuse me, what does Peter mean uh, in verse 3? How would you put it in plain English? everything we need for what purpose for godliness living a godly life to glorify God to glorify God and hmm? to overcome that's exactly it for our purposes in our own life the life of our family the life of other people who need to be brought into the kingdom now that's a tough one folks and you look at that and you say either it's true because it's the Word of God or it's not true because my life right now doesn't seem to measure up and it's in the shambles. Or I'm having problems here, here, and here. Um, we have a choice. And last, uh, last time Michael talked about the spiritual armor. We'll take a few minutes to go over that. But part of the picture is that we read the Word of God, we meditate on it, reflect on it, memorize it, but we also have to appropriate it. Now let me talk about what it means to appropriate. Big fancy word. Appropriate. There we go, something like that. Okay, what does it mean to appropriate? Take it. To take, take uh, possession of it. Take hold of it in what sense? To use it. To own it. To, to, to ah! Yours. There you go, to own it. 
to own it. Excellent. That you, you look at that and you say, you know, I don't understand everything. I have question marks because of this, 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 and this. But the Word of God says that I have been given everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness. In other words, just to live and to do God's business through the knowledge of Him. So that's what it says. That's reality. So when I get up in the morning and I feel like two cents Chinese money, I still come to this verse that says, everything has been given to me for pertaining to life and godliness. Does that mean we're more than conquerors? Something like that. That general neighborhood. Yes, sir. Um, Not because we are so incredible, but remember... What does it work in our life? Ephesians 3.20. Let's turn to that. I'm sure you've seen that. Perhaps memorized it. By the way, if you're not used to memorizing Scripture, let me present that to you as a good, healthy discipline. I shouldn't say discipline. I I know that's a dirty word, but... uh, um, a good way to, to build up the spiritual muscles. I'm not ready. You're not ready. <laughs> All right, who is ready? Now unto him we is able to do steady and abundant about all that we ask and contain according to the power of the word of us. So in plain English, who can tell us what that means? God gives more than what we would ever need for power in doing, being able to function. So we, in our puny understanding, we have this little notion of what God wants to do. And God is able and willing to do so much more beyond according to the power that is at work. And here is a uh, another word from Greek for you get oh from which we get energy what that means is God is effectively at work in our life in other words he's not doing now you see it now you don't I think maybe maybe not effectively at work in our life and so when we come to spiritual warfare that has to be the number one factor for us is that the Lord is with us he is at work and because of that he expects actually we can say he demands certain things from us he demands that we learn to be overcomers that we take that as as a given um, and we don't base reality on how strong or weak we are at, at any given time Because Lord knows, sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down. The only thing that doesn't change is the Lord's work in us. Um, I know Michael talked about this some last last time, but I want to look at um, Ephesians 6, 
and Romans 8. So let's uh, look at both of those. Amanda, would you read for us? Ephesians 6, 18 and 19. 18 and 19? Yeah. Uh, As you pray at all times with all kinds of prayers and requests in the Spirit, vigilantly and persistently for all God's people. And why don't you back up to verse 17. And take the helmet of deliverance, along with a sword given by the Spirit, that is, the Word of God. And, and then uh, 18 and 19. As you pray at all times, with all kinds of prayers and requests in the Spirit, vigilantly and persistently for all God's people, and pray for me too, that whenever I open my mouth, the word will be given to me to be bold in making known the secret of the good news. Okay, thank you. So, um, when Paul speaks about prayer, it really is part of the spiritual armor, although it's not explicitly mentioned as, you know, this item or that item. Uh, what does Paul have to say in here in Ephesians chapter 6 about prayer. Pray all the time. Pray in all ways. Pray all the time. Can you pray all the time? Is it possible to pray all the time? Yes, it's possible. Yes, it's possible. How many say yes, it's possible? How many say no, it's not possible? I guess I'm the only... I'm the, Rabbi David and I are all the only... Look, reality is that we get distracted. Uh, unlike Yeshua, it's not, it is not practically possible for us to be in continual communion with the Father, to be in prayer all the time. But that's the goal. That's the goal that we, we press towards. Um, why does he say pray in all kinds of prayers? What does he mean by all kinds of prayers? I thought that you pray the, the same way, you know. You know, to pray all the time about everything continually without ceasing. Okay, that's ongoing. Life is complicated. Life is complicated. Very well put. And so what you pray for when you are worshiping and, uh, and the sun is shining is going to be one thing. When you're down in the dumps and, and your kid has given you an awful time, uh, you're going to pray something else. All of that is valid, and all of that is supposed to be done. There's another phrase that we need to notice there. The alert? Yeah. Well, perseverance and supplication. Well, did I hear spirit? In the spirit. Praise In the spirit. Okay. Uh, praying at all times, in all in all forms, 
in the Spirit. In other words, that however you pray, whenever you pray, it is always to be done in the Spirit. Now what does that mean? If you're sincere to God, you're not just praying by form, but you're really communicating with God. You are? The Holy Spirit's right there. Now, of course, some folks would say that the phrase pray in the Spirit can only mean that you pray in tongues. Why? Because you shift from praying in your understanding, your natural tongue, into the language of angels. Maybe. Sometimes, yes. But there's a basic problem because uh, what, what he's saying, pray always, pray all kinds of prayers in the Spirit. That however you pray, it needs to be done in the Spirit. So what does that mean? Well, when you read uh, Paul's letters carefully, you'll see that he lays out a basic reality. You either do things by the flesh, or you do things by the Spirit. By the flesh means that it comes from you. Your thoughts, your ideas, your emotions. That's in the flesh. In the Spirit is that you, you say, God, I give you control and I want to do things as your Spirit leads me. So whether you, your prayer looked like this or they looked like that, it all has to be done by the leading of the Spirit. Now, one more verse with that and then we'll finish. Romans 8, 26-27. Let's see who can we call on Danielle? Twenty six and twenty seven, yeah. A similar thing happens when we pray. We are weak and do not know how to pray. So the spirit steps in and articulates prayers for us with groanings too profound for words. Though you know that he who pursues and explores the human heart intimately knows the spirit's mind, because he pleased to God for his saints to align their lives with the will of God. Okay. What does that mean? Think about all the times when you wanted to pray and you had no clue how to pray. It's like the words didn't come out of your mouth. You didn't quite know what to say, what not to say. What is Paul saying there? The Holy Spirit intercedes... The Holy Spirit somehow intercedes. Why? Because the Spirit of God knows the mind, the mind of the Father, the mind of God. And so, somehow what comes forth from you is what God wants. The Spirit of God somehow guides you and you simply say, Lord, I, Spirit of God, I don't know what to say and I have no clue. Please guide me. And so, why do we need to do that? Well, simply because, if you remember in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, we're told that if we pray according to God's will, then what's the result? He hears us. He, he hears us and He answers. He, he answers our prayers. 
I mean, he always hears us, but um, when we pray in line with what he wants, we know, bang, we, we have what we ask for. So how do we know what, what is God's will? Sometimes we understand, but we always, always, always invite the Spirit of God to lead us so that what ends up being our prayer is in line with God's will. And that's a huge part of spiritual warfare. We really, uh, I don't know, Michael, if you talked about it some, but it's, it's a huge part of spiritual warfare because remember all the times when we are uh, puzzled and we're in distress and, and we're not feeling like we're ready to overcome, then we stop and pray and uh, appropriate, take ownership of the Word of God and, and seek the mind of God and become strengthened and empowered so that we can overcome. Again, remember, this is... Uh, overcoming is standard for any and all of us who are believers. Giving up is not an option um, because the fact that we learn to persevere means that the faith that we have is real and legitimate because God is with us. Remember what we saw in the very beginning. Whoever is born of God Know first, is it First John four seven and eight? There's a little song, you know. You know the little song. Well, I don't know about the little song, but that's actually it's actually First John, First John five, not four. Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Overcomes the world. Oh, okay, I was thinking there's another four seven and eight has part of that in there, but. I'm sure it's repeated in John 5. Oh, well, y- yeah, you, know, I mean, you, you may be right. Over over once um, so, I, I just wanted to leave that thought with you. Spiritual warfare happens. Uh, we sometimes get... Uh, we sometimes fumble and stumble and fail. Um, the fact that we are able to pick up is not because we are cute and clever and strong, but because... the the presence of God is with us and He empowers us. So, please come next week. Join us as we pray. Uh, as we seek to be led by the Spirit and pray according to His will and and um, see good things happen. Okay, Mr. Zims, if you're awake, sir, would you uh, finish for us, please? Father, thank you for revealing your word to us and showing us how much you really care for us and that you stand by us no matter what. Then we would just appropriate what you give us, Father, and make it our own and use it the way you want us to use it, Father, that our lives wouldn't be the misery that they are. But you lift us up when we get down in that misery. We thank you tonight, Father, that you've shown us that. We ask that you watch over us tonight as we go home to our individual homes. Very what we've learned deep in our hearts, Father, so that we can bring it out at the appropriate time when you show us 
that we should show somebody else what you've shown us. For these things we ask in Yeshua's name. Amen.